We have it on the highest authority that everything has to change, whether you like it or not. Ye must be born again, our Lord says, born from above. You must be born again. You must start all over, and this time not of the flesh, but of the spirit, for that which is flesh is flesh. But that which is the spirit is the spirit. Everything must change, and indeed we have it on the highest authority. Everything will change. Behold, St. Paul writes, by inspiration of the Spirit, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep the sleep of death, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, everything will change. Yes, everything must change, whether you want it to or not, and it is a promise. Everything will change. Now, change in and of itself is not something new to us, is it? Perhaps it's something you embrace, or perhaps it's something that you'd rather not embrace. The typewriter has become the personal computer, has become the laptop, has become the smartphone, and who knows what the future holds. I'm not exactly thrilled about it, and probably most of you aren't either. But that's the way things are, isn't it? Everything changes. The ancients may have debated whether the most basic element was earth or wind or water or fire. And if I had to choose between those four, the answer, of course, would be fire. Because everything is like fire, always in flux, always in change. But it's not that kind of mundane change that I speak of today. The change that I'm speaking of, the change that our Lord commands, the change that he indeed promises is a deeper kind of change. It is the kind of change that scripture calls conversion, repentance, turning around, and belief. It is the new birth, it is the regeneration, it is death, and it is resurrection. It is taking off the old man and being clothed in something completely new. The change that we speak of today is a humiliation, but it is also an exaltation. That's the way God's word speaks of this great change that we must concern ourselves with today and indeed which should be in our minds somehow, some way, every day. The saints are those, if you want a definition of what a saint is, they are these. Saints are early adopters of change. Now, some early adoptions are kind of, I don't know, they are, they're a bit scandalous. So we often hear stories of politicians who have some kind of inside knowledge, right? And then it turns out that their husband or wife made investments that, lo and behold, just sort of worked out. They were early adopters. But not all early adoption has to be scandalous. Sometimes your friend comes home and he says, hey, have you heard of this CSI company? I think we should buy stock in it. And 50 years later, you're rolling in the dough. Sometimes, if you know the change is coming, you can, in a sense, get ahead of it, and you can ride the wave. The saints are those who are riding the wave. Everything must change. You can resist, you can fight against it, but everything must change. And indeed, it is a promise from our Lord, everything will change. So why not ride the wave? 
Ride the wave with Jesus and ride the wave with all of the saints. Ride the wave of this great change because truly where we are going is better than where we have been. Now, preaching that message to a group of Missouri Synod Lutherans can get a pastor in trouble. What do you mean where we're going is better than where we've been? We want it the way it was before, pastor. We want the good old days. And of course, I love the good old days. But see, Jesus doesn't say nostalgia. Jesus doesn't say put the car in reverse and go backwards. Jesus says you need a whole new track. You need a whole different destination. And friends, where we are going is indeed better than where we have been. There is a great change underway. And I want each and every one of you to be like the saints who have gone before you, early adopters of that change. Good morning. There's an old saying in the church, and I'm particularly fond of it. It goes like this, every saint has a past, right? Every saint has a past. Some of those pasts are very colorful. Some of them are quite scandalous. Others are quite mundane and ordinary. But every saint has a past, a time before they were changed. And for that matter, every sinner, every sinner, therefore, has a future. Who you are today is not finished. What you have been in the past does not determine where you are headed in the future. Saints are those who have taken that message to heart. Saints are those who have heard the command of Jesus that you must be born again and have said, Lord, sign me up. I want to ride that wave. But where are we going? See, that's always the question, isn't it? If I stand in front of you and just say, you should adopt every change that's out there, you would be right to throw me out of the pulpit. After all, not every change is a good and godly change. Yes, the Lord made Adam in the Garden of Eden, and he didn't command him to not touch anything. Don't do anything, Adam. That wasn't the command, was it? Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion. Adam was to change everything in a positive direction. But of course, sin has gotten into the mix, and so now change often leads to regression, not progression. Sinful change is decay. Sinful change is, well, it's death. And we are not to adopt that kind of change. St. John gives us a vision of where we are headed. We hear today in that wonderful reading from Revelation chapter 7, the finished or maybe we should put it this way, the nearly finished goal. We hear of heaven's goal. Who are these coming out of the great tribulation? Well, they are the saints, right? They are the saints, and we are given this picture so that we don't have to consult with people who come back with all kinds of stories. I'm sure you've heard those stories before. A person has a near-death experience. Maybe their heart stopped beating. Maybe the brain went kind of flatlined, and somehow they're brought back. And sometimes those stories are full of, I don't know, wonderful things, bright lights, and good things. But who's to say that those are real visions? God doesn't want you to have no idea about where you are going. You are given this vision of heaven, certainly to be comforted about those whom you have loved and who have preceded you in death, but it's not just that. This vision of heaven is so that you would be an early adopter. And what do we see in St. John's vision? 
Well, we see a place of rest, don't we? But it's not the kind of rest that, you know, comes at the, long, at the end of a long day of work. That's the kind of rest where you put your head down on the pillow and you don't do anything at all. The rest that the saints in heaven enjoy, that we are interested in pursuing, is not cessation of all activity. It is being in the nearer presence of the Lord, right? And you heard, what did it say? They are around the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. The truth is, for much of our life, we wonder, is it all worth it? Is my job really fulfilling? Is it really rewarding? Well, guess what? In heaven, you will never ask that question. In heaven, you will never wonder, is this really rewarding? Is this really what I went to school for? Is this really worth the paycheck? We will be around the throne and we will be serving our Lord day and night, never tiring of the activity, never wondering, never wondering if it's really all that good. Never thinking that maybe somewhere, some way, the grass is greener elsewhere, for we will be with the Lord Jesus. You heard also that in heaven there is perfect satisfaction, right? They neither hunger nor thirst anymore. Now, what's more common in our world than hunger and thirst? There is always some lack that we have, isn't there? There is always the grumbling of the belly, and if it hasn't hit you yet this morning, well, just wait till the sermon's over, and it will hit you. There is always something missing in this world. But when we are in the presence of the Lord, nothing will be missing. There will be no want that is not satisfied. There will be no desire that somehow goes unfulfilled. There will never be a disappointment. Of course, sometimes people ask pastors the kinds of questions like these, will my pets be in heaven? And I usually say, I don't really know, I kind of doubt it, but here's the better way to answer. The better way to answer is, you won't be disappointed. If your pet is there, wonderful. If your pet isn't, you won't be sad, because you will be with the Lord. And all of your desires, all of your godly hopes and dreams will be satisfied. We also hear that it will be a place of perfect safety. The sun will not scorch them, nor any striking heat. There will be no more pain, which we are all so familiar with. There will be no more of a clash between the world that we live in and ourselves. Now just think of how different that is from our day-to-day existence. How often do we hear of earthquakes? How often do we hear of tornadoes? How often do we turn the weather on and think, oh man, today's going to be rough? You'll never have to worry of such things in heaven. For in heaven, the environment matches you perfectly and completely. The sun will not oppose you, and there will be nothing to scorch your feet underneath. It will be a place of perfect refreshment not a place of disappointment. That's what it means when it says that the lamb who is in the midst will bring them to springs of living water. The drink that is on offer in heaven is this perfect drink. It is a perfectly satisfying and refreshing drink of water, not what passes for water in our world. Where we are headed is indeed better than where we have been. Have you gotten the point? There will be a place of perfect comfort. There, there will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. For God himself will wipe away every single tear that has ever come to your eyes. That is beautiful, isn't it? God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. 
So who wouldn't want to be an early adopter? Who wouldn't want to get in on this? Why should we spend our lives thinking how we should go back and how if only, if only, if only? Instead, let us press on. Press on, dear friends. That is what heaven is meant for. Heaven is not given us as a vision so that we can wring our hands and say, oh, if I could just escape this world. It is not an escapist thing. Rather, it is a shot in the arm. Heaven is a shot in the arm to tell you in visions, in words that go beyond what we can imagine, that where we are headed is indeed better than where we have been. This vision of heaven ought to give you energy, energy to embrace the change that the Lord Jesus commands. Because the truth is that that present reality, that present change, is not always a peaceful one. Sometimes it's rather forceful. I told you that last week. That present change of going from unbelief to belief, that present change of becoming a saint in this world, that process of sanctification that begins with that wonderful declaration that you are righteous for Christ's sake, that process of the Christian life is not always an easy change to undergo. Jesus puts it this way, blessed are, and then he lists off all these things. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. How many of you want to adopt that? Blessed are those who mourn. Anybody want to be an early adopter on the mourning train? Blessed are those who are meek. Sorry, Jesus, I'd rather not ride that wave. I'd rather be proud. I'd rather be strong. I'd rather be powerful and not humble and meek. See, here is the change that our Lord Jesus calls us to. This is what scripture calls conversion, repentance, and faith. It is a total reevaluation of, well, everything. It's not an easy transformation. That's the point. Now, sometimes when we hear these words of our Lord, they're called the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, we might ask ourselves, are these commands that Jesus is giving us? You know, is he saying you must be poor in spirit? You ought to be meek? You should be lowly? You must be a peacemaker? And of course, they are those things, certainly. They are imperatives, if we have to put it into grammatical terms. But these imperatives are also indicatives. What must be is in fact what the Spirit is working. The imperatives that our Lord Jesus holds out to us are also indicatives that the Spirit is at work within us. And so when you read these Beatitudes, what you are reading, dear friends, what you are reading is what the Holy Spirit is at work to shape and form in you. And here's the wonderful thing. What he is shaping and forming in you is the image of Christ. What we will be has not yet been revealed, but when it is, when he is, then we shall be like him. The great change that is underway is a change, certainly, from death to life. It is a change from sin to grace. It is a change from me and my weak image into the image of Jesus Christ. And so all of these beatitudes, as much as they are commands of what you are to pursue, they are also descriptions of what Jesus is. He is the one who walked through this world in poverty of spirit. 
What did he say to the man who wanted to follow him? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is the one who is poor in spirit, who trusts completely in his heavenly Father. Jesus is the one who went about mourning, right? Mourning not just because he wasn't respected, not just because not everyone loved him and praised him, not just because his paycheck didn't match his expectations. Jesus mourned sin and sin's effect. He wept at his friend Lazarus's tomb because he saw what death had brought into the world. We could go through each of these beatitudes and see how they describe our Lord Jesus. And that would be a wonderful way to spend our time this morning. But if we left it there, if we left it there just as a description of Jesus, we wouldn't quite be getting everything we ought to get. Because the truth is, what is true of Jesus is to become true in the life of his Christians. You are to become little images of Jesus, little copies of your Lord. And so his way is your way, his path is your path, and his destiny is your destiny. So yes, we embrace all of these things that may not seem like great changes, poverty of spirit, lowliness of heart, the pursuit of peace instead of the pursuit of self. But when we pursue these things, we remember that we are blessed in the doing of them. Blessed are you. Even when others revile you and persecute you and hate you on account of Christ, because you are with Jesus. And so you have everything that you need to endure whatever change may come to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the mourners, blessed are the humble, blessed are those who hunger and thirst not just for bread and water, but for righteousness. Blessed are those who pursue mercy and peace. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted and opposed, for they are with Jesus. Now, this is an important point to make, because if we separate all of these virtues from Jesus, we might get the idea that, well, we can become peaceful in whatever way we want. But the kind of peace that Jesus means to bring to you is his kind of peace. The kind of path that Jesus wants you to walk is not the one that you make up for yourself. It is the one that follows after him. So often when our world speaks of these kinds of things, humility and peace and love, they get it all twisted up because they don't include Jesus in the definition of that stuff. If you abstract all of these things from the life of Jesus, if you think, well, I should just try to be peaceful, then you will make peace with all the wrong kinds of things. Christ does not call us to make peace with the devil. He does not call us to make peace with sin and death. In fact, he calls us to make war with these things. But through that, he brings the better peace. Be attitudes. Certainly, we are called to be these things, but we must also see that the Spirit is at work to bring these things about. And in fact, that is the definition of a saint. The saints are not necessarily those who are the famous ones. The saints are not necessarily simply those who have gone on before us. Saints are those who have heard the call of Jesus, that everything must change, and who have heard the promise of Jesus, that everything will change, and who have seen what our Lord has in store for us, that is, greater than any eye has heard or ear has seen or hand could possibly conceive. 
Yes, Jesus has better things in store for us. So adopt the change. Be converted. Lay down your sins. Lay down anything that would be opposed to the way of Jesus. Take up his beatitudes and find in them your present blessing so that you may be included in that number that is beyond all number, so that you may rejoice around the throne of your heavenly Father and around the Lamb for salvation. The great change belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne, and he has brought it to you. To Christ be the glory now and forever. Amen.